Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews chapter three, beginning in verse one. As you're turning there, let's make some noise for everybody watching on the live stream today. Let's give it up. Welcome to Vision Church. Want to encourage you, leave a comment, interact with us. We have a live stream monitor who's praying for you and engaging with you in the chat right now. Also, while you're still trying to find your place there in Hebrews chapter three, I want to direct your attention to the independence pledge card that is in your seat. If you're new or visiting, feel free to tune me out for like the next 60 seconds. But really quickly, want to let you know, we bought a building in June of this year. Come on, somebody. That's exciting. We've only been in this building a year and a half but we've grown to four services and it became apparent we needed another location. Uh, So we need to transform this space so that lives will be transformed in it. It previously was a Votech college and we're gonna turn it around and make it a church, the house of the living God. So our goal is to raise $1 million by May, 2023. And uh, I would ask you to prayerfully consider if you're a part of the church, uh, what God would have you to give above and beyond your normal giving. You can make a pledge right here. You can drop it in the giving station or in two weeks on Sunday the 23rd, you can bring your pledge card and lay it at the altar. Or if you have a donation you'd like to give at that time, we're gonna take the independence offering that Sunday, October 23rd in all four services, all right? Um, Also, really, really big news before we start in Hebrews 3. Look at your neighbor and say, this is big news. We are launching a brand new ministry called Discipleship Groups, and it launches today. Come on, somebody, if you're excited about this. So I'm gonna give you the 30,000 foot view. Um, Our church is serious about the Great Commission, which is to go and make disciples, all right? We're doing a good job at the church of winning souls. The Lord has given us favor this year. Over 260 people have made a public decision to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. That's amazing. But we must be responsible with the harvest that we're praying for. And we got to make sure that there's a plan and an infrastructure to make disciples. So discipleship groups are different from connect groups. Connect groups are a powerful, life-giving ministry that is really the heartbeat of our church. They're gatherings of 10 to 15 people that meet all throughout the city. They study God's word together and they grow in their faith and relationship in Christ. But discipleship groups are a smaller group made up of one disciple maker and three people being discipled. It is a one year commitment where they meet twice monthly for 90 minutes and the disciple maker literally pours into these three disciples and gives them everything they've got. Now there is a curriculum that guides the conversation. This is gonna be one of the most life-giving, powerful ministries we've ever done. And then at the end of the year, we're gonna look at those three disciples and we're gonna turn to them and commission them to do the same for three more people. Disciples making disciples. Can you get excited about that with me? That's the church. That's what the church. Listen, as a church, we have nothing to do 
but win souls and make disciples. The potlucks, the fun, all that stuff, it's all nice and good. We're here to win souls and make disciples. This is a serious commitment. This is not for people that are undecided, half-hearted, unsure. This is a 12-month commitment. If you decide that you want to be discipled and you join a group and someone gives you tickets to the Panthers home game on the 50-yard line and your group meets at the same time, we 100% expect you to drop kick the tickets and be at the discipleship group. No excuses. You with me? It's gonna be life-giving, incredible. All the information you need is available right now online at visionchurch.com, right on the homepage. You can scroll down and see it. I will warn you, our capacity is limited, very limited. Uh, it'll be on a first come, first serve basis. You'll be paired with a disciple maker. So please be patient, give us a little bit of grace. We only have 13 trained disciple makers. That's a capacity of 39 disciples right now. We'll be launching more disciple makers as the year goes, but this is gonna be a powerful resource to the local church. All right, uh, moving on. We're continuing in our series today called Hebrews, very creatively titled after the book of Hebrews. It's a 13 chapter series that we're gonna do in basically seven weeks. We're doing two chapters a Sunday. Last week, we covered chapter one and two. Today, we're in three and four. And literally, we could do an entire series on chapter three alone. So Jesus, take the wheel. Hebrews chapter three, beginning in verse one. So dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those who are called to heaven. Think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself, for every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work is an illustration of the truths God would reveal later, but Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house. If we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ, that is why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. They're your ancestors, tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them and I said, their hearts always turn from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Verse 12, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Skipping down to verse 16. And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? 
Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his rest. Pray with me now. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus and we give you great praise for your word. Thank you for Hebrews chapter three and four. I pray that it would bring life and transformation into every heart and soul in this room. Pray that you'd be strong in my weakness. I need you today. And may I forever be hidden behind the message of the cross. It's in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Little bit of context here. It's important that we don't just read the Bible. That's right. We shouldn't just read it. We should study it. Because if you read the Bible with your 21st century perspective and you draw your own conclusions, you're gonna come up with some weird theology and some strange doctrine, all right? So we need to study it and we need to find out who was the audience and what was their context, what was it really written, and what is that lesson that we can then apply to our life today? And that's exactly what we're gonna do. Verse one starts with the audience. The audience of the book of Hebrews is guess who? Hebrews. Jewish people of a Jewish descent that have now trusted in the finished work of Christ. They were Messianic Jews. That's who the audience is. Hebrews was not written as an evangelistic book to reach a lost and dying world, although it certainly will. Hebrews was written to these Jewish believers who are now wavering in their faith. Their faith started out strong. They were on fire for the Lord Jesus. But as the years passed and the decades lapsed, many of these believers began to grow lukewarm and they even began to retreat in their faith. They began to minimize the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They began to be ashamed of the gospel because at this time, 2000 years ago, if you were a Jewish person who professed faith in Christ, it was like you were following some strange, foreign, separate religion, and many of their family members and even people in the very fabric of their society were disowning them and banishing them from society. Under that pressure, these new believers are now reneging on their faith and they're going back to Judaism. They're going back to the Mosaic law. They're going back to human effort to strive and strain and earn God's approval and merit. The 13 chapters of Hebrews are written to those people who are wavering and it's written like a lawyer building a case to bring them back to the firm foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the audience, okay? Now, another observation right here in verse one says, we belong to God. Look at your neighbor with some attitudes, say, you belong to God. Of course, this is talking to those who are Christians, those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It's important that you understand, I'm gonna say something that's gonna hurt your feelings and you're gonna disagree with me, but you're welcome. You, every person on planet earth falls in one of two categories. You are either God's enemy or you are God's child. Everybody wants to say, well, oh, we're all God's children. No, we're not. No, we're not. Scripture is profoundly clear. You are either his enemy or you are his son. You're either his child or you're against him. You're either for him or against him. So this is speaking again to a born again Christian audience. And to those of you who have given your life to Christ, I say to you, you belong to him. 
That means it's no longer living your truth, living your best life, living to make yourself happy and wealthy and satisfied. No, no, no. It's no longer about me. My life is not my own. Now I live to please him. Now I live to bring him glory. And now I no longer think about what makes me happy. I now think, how can I live in a way that makes him pleased? Does that make sense? And I know I sound like a broken record, but that's because the Bible keeps saying this over and over and over again. And about the 50th time we say it, and I'm tired of preaching it, that's about the time people start accepting it and owning it. All right? So our life is not our own. We belong to God. Scripture goes on to say that we are partners with Jesus. The King James Version and the New King James Version uses a different word. It says that we are partners, we are partakers. That's what that translation says, we're partakers. Now that's really powerful because again, you gotta think about this audience, right? These people are crumbling under the pressure. They're like, well, listen, yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, but mom and dad aren't inviting me over to uh, the feast of Passover anymore or the feast of Pentecost. So, uh, you know, I'm going to go back to Judaism. When the author of Hebrews says you are a partaker with Christ, he's signaling you not only partake in his life, but you also partake in his suffering and in his death. And we who identify with Christ in his death and in his burial, we shall also identify with his resurrection and his victory and his power. You see, everybody wants to be saved and forgiven of their sin. And we want to identify with the heaven and the glory part of Jesus. But when you got baptized, you were dying to who you used to be. That water is not uh, beautiful, poetic, and symbolic. That water represents a watery grave, a tomb. And when you lay down under that water, you are saying, my life is no longer my own. And not only do I partake in your eternal life, but I also partake in your suffering. And if I will suffer with you, I will be raised with you. Now, hear me. Why is this so important to the, to the audience? Because they're crumbling under the peer pressure. Oh, I just, you know, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm going back to Judaism. And the writer is saying, hey, you are a partaker with Christ, even in his suffering. And Christ was rejected. He was hated. He was denied and spat upon. The very world he created rejected him and nailed him to a cross. And now you can't stay true to the faith because somebody's not loving you and inviting you to the holiday party. Amen. Well, they don't like me at work anymore. Nobody invites me over. Well, get welcome. There's a cost to following Jesus. Your salvation is free, but if you look like him, the world is going to despise you. The sooner you're okay with that, the sooner you'll walk in freedom and victory. Still in verse one, the author goes on to say, you should think carefully about Jesus. Look at your neighbors, say, think carefully about Jesus. And church, this is so powerful. He is appealing to them again, and he's saying, you better think carefully about the person of Jesus Christ, because he's not just a prophet, he's not just a teacher, not just a nice guy. You better think carefully, because you better think about his ministry. And for three years, the blind eyes were open. The lame were given strength in their extremities to walk. The deaf 
heard. The dead were even raised to life. The demon possessed were cleansed and he died on a rugged cross. Think back to the cross. He died, was buried, and on the third day, he rose in victory and in power. He's saying, think carefully on that empty tomb. You better think carefully before you minimize or despise or ignore or turn your back on Christ. You better remember who he is. And today in this world, many of you are not being pulled by Judaism, but you are being pulled by academia. You're being pulled by the media. You're being pulled by secular music and everything in the world is pulling you away from Christ, trying to minimize him, to make a mockery of his word. The world is trying to pull you away from him. But let me remind you, you better think clearly on the person of Christ. You better remember that empty tomb. He is risen He is the son of the living God. Thinking on Christ gives you a firm foundation. The book of Hebrews is not just 13 chapters of majestic imagery and theology. It is a warning, not only to them, but to us, that we must not drift from the true gospel of Jesus Christ the Lord. Also, we have to recognize, as the author is pointing out, Judaism and Christianity are not two polar opposite faiths. Christianity is built on the foundation of Moses and the prophets. Jesus is not a different, a different Messiah. He is the fulfillment of Judaism. And that's part of the argument that is being made here. We're moving on now to verse 3. Scripture says that Jesus is greater than Moses. If you would, tell your neighbor, Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, when you and I hear that, we think it's a little bit odd and quite obvious. In chapters one and two, the scripture said something very similar, that Jesus is greater than the angels. And we're like, well, yeah, okay. But again, remember the audience. The Jewish rabbis taught that Moses was the greatest human that had ever lived. They taught that he was almost equal to or greater than even the angels. So as the author continues to build his case, he focuses in on Moses and he says, remember, Jesus is greater than he is. Moses was like the house, but Jesus is the builder. In other words, Moses was creation, Jesus is creator. Moses was servant, Jesus is son. There's a major difference. Also, I want to direct your attention to Hebrews 3, 5. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work, watch this, was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. Man, that is such a powerful verse that Moses, his life and ministry... It was an illustration pointing forward to God's revelation in the ages to come, which is Christ, okay? There are a lot of examples and similarities between Moses and Jesus. You've heard me say this a lot here if you've been coming to vision. The Old Testament points forward to Jesus. The whole thing, Genesis to Malachi, all of it, it points forward to one person. His name is Jesus. In fact, the Bible, I'm going to make it real simple. The whole Bible 
is all about one name, one message, one person. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his gospel and everything you read, even in Leviticus that you get weirded out about, it's all symbolism and imagery pointing forward to the sacrifice Jesus would make for us on the cross. I'm gonna show you a few parallels between Moses and Jesus. This is what the author is illustrating and I'm gonna show you how powerful this is. Moses was a dual citizen. You remember? He was born a Hebrew, raised in the house of Pharaoh as an Egyptian. Jesus Christ also was a dual citizen. He was the king of heaven, the prince of heaven divine who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Moses was prince. He was the prince of Egypt. He was of royalty, all right? And Jesus also was the prince of heaven. More importantly, Moses was a deliverer. He, God rose him up to set God's people free. From 400 years of slavery and oppression in Egypt, God rose up Moses as a deliverer to liberate his people. And while this is great and powerful, it was nothing but a mere glimpse of the one who would be our great deliverer, Jesus Christ, who would later come and deliver us not from a Pharaoh, not from slavery in Egypt, but he would deliver us from a far greater, more sinister enemy called sin and death. And on the cross, the power of sin and death were broken. And now he reigns in victory. Moses was a deliverer, but Jesus is the great deliverer. Anybody believe that today? Do you see the parallel? Do you see the imagery? Not only that, but Moses was also a mediator. Oftentimes the Israelites were doing crazy things and Moses would have to appeal and pray to them on behalf of them. God, be merciful to these people. I know they're doing crazy things, but just have mercy. You saved them out of here as an example to the world. Don't kill them now. <laughs> All right, and we laugh at that, but that's actually Again, a glimpse, a foreshadow of a mediator yet to come who would be Jesus Christ, the Lord, our high priest, who now mediates. He's seated at the right hand of the Father where he intercedes for you and I. He says to the Father, I know they're doing crazy things, but you love them. Have mercy on them. Do you see the parallel? The author again is making the case, Moses is great, but Jesus is greater. Moving on to verses 12 and 13 of chapter three. Don't let your heart be hardened. Don't let your heart be hardened. This is a warning. Don't be like the generation of Israelites who died in the wilderness. This is so powerful, church, because you remember as the Lord delivered the Hebrews out of Egypt, he brought them straight to the promised land. Like sometimes we read that and we're like, oh, it took them 40 years to get there. No, it didn't. They went straight from Egypt, straight to the promised land. But when they saw the giants in Cana, they became fearful and they were overwhelmed with unbelief. And so then the Lord banished them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until a generation died off, all right? But their hearts had become hardened even though they had seen God do many miraculous things, their heart grew ungrateful and unfaithful. 
And the truth is in our life this morning, we too have seen God do many great things in our life. Yet over time, our heart tends to grow ungrateful and we begin to grow unfaithful over time. I wanna give you a couple really quick glimpses, warnings of things that harden our hearts towards God. The first thing is, and again, we're gonna pull all these these examples from the Israelites. Number one, blaming others hardens our own heart. You remember the Israelites, we've been talking about them all morning. They were always blaming somebody. When they were in Egypt, their life was so miserable. My life is awful. It's because of Pharaoh and these Egyptians. Well, then God delivers them. They come through the Red Sea, wandering around on Sinai's Peninsula, and now they start blaming Moses. And Aaron, they're like, man, if it weren't for you, I'd still be back in Egypt. At least I'd have a permanent house and I could still eat fish and onions. Okay, this is in your Bible. The Israelites, there's a pattern of them always blaming other people. And I'll be honest, there's sometimes I just want to slap some Israelites in the face. Am I allowed to say that? Well, I just said it. Does anybody, get, does anybody else at 10 o'clock get annoyed when you think about the Israelites in the, in the Exodus? Okay, like none of you are, okay. You're all holier than I am. Okay, but just let me explain. I get annoyed with the Israelites because I'm like, he just delivered you miraculously. He sent 10 plagues on Egypt. You walk through an ocean on dry ground. He's given you manna in the wilderness. Moses hit a rock and it became a fountain. What more do you want God to do for you? And then you still complain and you still blame other people and you still harden your heart against God Almighty. And every time I get mad at the Israelites, God reminds me that's who I am. And that's who you are too. We are the Israelites. We also blame everybody and everything for our own condition. And be careful when you blame everybody and everything for your own situation, your heart grows bitter, critical, and hardened and cold. And if your heart grows hard, your faith dwindles. That's what Hebrews 3 is saying. He's saying, hey, you wavering Christians, your heart is hard and you're drifting from the truth because you blame everybody and everything else. Listen, you cannot afford to be a victim. Christianity does not teach you to be a victim. So long as you're a victim, you will never walk in victory. You never will. Oh, it's her fault. It's his fault. Well, I would be more if it weren't for my my, mom, my dad, my this, my dad. Listen, life is not fair. Somebody just needs to tell you life is not fair. It never has been and it never will be. It's not free. It's not fair. And listen, I'm going to tell you something that's going to hurt your feelings. God is not an equal opportunity giver. He hasn't given us all the same resources. He hasn't given us all the same time. He hasn't given us all the same talents. And you know what? He's God. And you're not. And will not the Lord of all the earth do what is right? Some of you are still like, I don't like this preaching. Okay. Well, let me remind you, in the Gospels, Jesus told the parable of the talents, and he gave one five, he gave one two, and he gave one homie one. 
But if you actually study it, the guy with one that we feel bad for, many historians say it was worth well over a million dollars, just that one. So you may think you don't have what somebody else has, but the truth is you've got everything you will ever need to be the man or the woman God has called you to be. And you got more than enough time, more than enough intelligence, more than enough capabilities in your life. And listen, I recognize that life is not fair and sometimes life is cruel. And I want to caution you, don't blame God for everything people did to you. We live in a sinful, fallen world, but here's what I can tell you. I may not be able to identify with everything you've walked through, but you have a high priest who does. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the perfect mediator. He was tried and tempted in all points, yet he remained without sin. The reason that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and God became human is so that he could sympathize and have compassion with you and I. You have an advocate when nobody else understands your pain. You have a God in heaven who does. He loves you. He is for you and he is with you. And because he's with you and for you, Stop blaming everybody else. Stop being a victim and make up your mind. Today's the day I'm moving forward. Today's the day I'm forgiven. Today's the day. Listen, forgiving somebody is not approving of what they did to you. It's just moving on, moving forward. So long as you hold on to those things and you blame everybody else, your heart will grow hard. Another reason that our heart grows hard is because of hidden sin in our life. The Israelites, when Moses was on Mount Sinai in the wilderness receiving the commandments from God at the base of the mountain, the Israelites thought they were sinning in secret and they melted down their gold jewelry and they formed a golden calf and began to worship it in secret. And that idolatry, it hardened their heart towards the true God of Israel. And I want to warn you today that many of us, we still have secret sin in our life. Things that we do that nobody else knows about, things that we keep hidden, things that we look at when we think nobody else is around. And I want to warn you that you cannot coddle or foster secret sin in your life because you think it doesn't hurt anybody. Yes, it does. It's hurting you. It's killing you. And it's actually hardening your heart. And it's desensitizing you to the things of God and his holy conviction. And if you keep entertaining that side sin, it's eventually going to harden your heart to a place of unbelief and opposition towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Many people say, well, I'll repent next week. I'll, I'll give it over to God next month. Listen, scripture says today is the day to d- make things right with the Lord today. You're not promised tomorrow. Not another heartbeat, not another breath. Make things right with God today. Amen. The more you can, listen, the more you continue in your secret sin, the less it convicts you and you just become desensitized. Yeah. When you first did it, you, and you all know, that we all have something in our life, or we've had, you, the first time you did it, it's like your conscience screamed at you, right? And you're like, oh man, what did I do? I can't believe I did that, it's not who I am. But then you keep doing it, and over time, like, it no longer moves you or convicts you. When you become desensitized, it's because your heart is hardened, and you're in a dangerous place spiritually. Stop ignoring it. Bring it to the feet of Jesus. And by the way, you cannot set you free. I've had people say, well, you know, I'm just going, this time I'm really going to quit. I'm going to do it. No, you're not going to do it because you're no match for sin and neither am I. But the same God who saves you 
is the same God who can sanctify you. The same God who saved you is the same God who can give you a new appetite. And scripture says we should hunger and thirst after righteousness. How do I hunger and thirst after righteousness? By relying on his spirit to change my heart and give me a new taste. Lord, help me to love what you love and despise what you despise. That's the only hope you have of walking in victory. But if he can save you, he can sanctify you. Anybody believe it today that he can change your life? And listen, some people, their life is changed in an instant and some people, their life is changed gradually over the course of their life. The point is, I'm not the man I want to be today, but I'm far from who I used to be. I still stumble. I still make mistakes sometimes, but when I fall now, I don't fall back where I used to because he's been doing a work in my life and I don't love the sin I used to love. In fact, I despise it. That's the evidence that there is a new heart, a new desire inside of me. And that is not attributed to me, but to his spirit at work in my life. Moving on, verse 14. If we remain faithful, the takeaway here is if we remain faithful, look at your neighbor, say if. We don't like conditional promises or conditional statements in the scripture, but I got to be honest with you. They're all over the Bible. He's saying to the Hebrews, you are going to still be part of God's family, part of God's household. You're going to be God's children if you remain faithful to the gospel. If you deny Jesus and you go back to Judaism looking, waiting for another Messiah, you will be cut off and you will die in your sin. Not popular preaching, but it is the word of the Lord. You say, well, I don't, I don't agree with that. Okay, well, you, ha you have a problem then because Jesus also taught us about the parable of the sower. You remember that he sowed some seed onto the shallow soil and the good seed fell on that soil. It began to germinate and to bear fruit. And then because it was so shallow, the sun blazed it away and it died. That's not saying that, well, you can be saved and then if you sin bad enough, God will cut you off. No, it's saying that if you come to Christ and you rely on him for salvation, but then you change your mind and you go back to another, another way of being made right with God, you will die in your sin. Amen. That's the apostate, abandonment of the gospel. We're saved by grace through so if you cease to have faith, then you cease to be saved. It's getting quiet in here today. When it gets quiet, I know that's, I'm right up in your driveway then. <clears throat> For the sake of time, I'm going to keep moving. In the closing verses of chapter three, in the beginning verses of chapter four, verses 16 through 19 of chapter three and verses one and two of chapter four, scripture teaches us that unbelief keeps us from his rest. This is really important. Unbelief keeps us from his rest. Back in the Exodus, when Moses brought God's people to the promised land. God called the promised land of Cana, the land that flows with milk and honey. He called it not only his promise, but the place of his rest. 
That's what he called it, all right? And the people who were meant for the promise, meant for his rest, they did not enter in because their heart had grown hard and they turned from the faith. And so they died in the wilderness. Did you read it with me? Why did the Israelites not inherit the promised land, that first generation? Because of their unbelief. Are you tracking with me? Okay, here's the big picture of this text. The promised land represents far more than a prosperous land with milk and honey. The promised land represents eternal life, heaven in the presence of God Almighty. The river that separates the wilderness from the promised land is the river Jordan. You know what the river Jordan also represents? The river of death. In other words, in this lifetime, we wander in the wilderness and ultimately we will all come to face the river of death. But if we do not have faith in his finished work on the cross, we will not enter in to our eternal rest and we will die in our sins in a wilderness cut off from him eternally. Do you see it now? It's a picture of salvation. Remember, I told you the whole Bible is about one story, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Scripture is saying there's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to enter into his eternal rest, and it is by having faith in Jesus Christ alone. And if you turn from Christ, who else or what else can save you? I love what Jesus said to the disciples. Actually, I love what the disciples said back to Jesus. Jesus had been preaching to a great crowd and thousands began to leave him to where there was only 12 disciples left. And Jesus looked at those 12 disciples and he said, are you gonna leave me too? And I love their response. It gives me chills. I believe it was Peter. He responded and he said, Lord, to where else would we go? To who else would we turn, Jesus? There is no other way. There is no other name. There is no other one who has conquered death in the grave. There is no other one who died in my place to take away my sin. To where else could we turn? Scripture is teaching us that we are not saved through work. We are saved through rest. Oh, church, I'm preaching to you now. Look at your neighbor. Say, we're saved through rest. I'm about to take a lap in here. Somebody needs to get excited at 10 o'clock with me. Isaiah 30, 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness, in confidence, is your strength, but you would have none of it. Look at this church. The Jewish rabbis, the Pharisees, taught Judaism in a works-based salvation. They were saying you're saved by your obedience to the law, your work, your effort, your goodness, your righteousness. You better obey the law or you're gonna go to hell. And they were always burdening the people with more works, more commandments. And it was overwhelming the people. 
But Jesus is saying, and the author of Hebrews is saying right here, you are not saved by your work. You are saved by resting in the finished work of Calvary's cross. In other words, the reason we're saved through rest is because when I rest as a Christian, it's the proof that I recognize that his blood was enough. His cross was enough and I can do nothing to earn heaven. In closing, I wanna show you one last example that we are saved through rest. In, you remember the plagues that fell on Egypt? The final plague that fell on Egypt that finally broke the will of Pharaoh to let God's people leave was the death of the firstborn. Do you remember this? Even if you don't, I'm gonna explain it. Basically, the final plague was every firstborn in all of Egypt, from the livestock to the, to the prince, they would die this night. So the Lord spoke to his people and he said, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to slaughter it. And I want you to take the blood of the lamb and I want you to smear it over the door place of your dwelling. Because at midnight tonight in the darkness, the spirit of death will sweep over the land of Egypt and every house from Pharaoh to the least of these that is not marked by the blood will experience death. That night, the spirit of death did fall on Egypt and the spirit of death passed over every dwelling that was marked by the blood of the lamb. This is a picture of the gospel and the means by which we are saved. Two things are of utmost importance. What were the people doing, the Hebrew people, what were they doing at night when the spirit of death passed over? They were at rest. They were asleep. They could do nothing to save themselves other than trust and rely fully on the blood of the lamb that had spoken for their sin. And when the spirit of death passed over Egypt, the spirit of death did not find the blood and say, Okay, well, here's one with the blood. Okay, are you keeping the Mosaic law? Well, it hasn't been given yet. Are you, are you a righteous person? Are you doing great? No, no, the spirit of death was looking for one thing. Are you covered by the blood of the lamb? This is a picture that on the day of judgment, one thing will matter. Not were you sinless, not were you perfect, not were you charitable. One thing will matter was the blood of Jesus covering the door of your heart. Was the blood of Jesus covering your life and were you at rest in him? It's the only way to be saved. Pray with me now all over this church. And if you're watching online, this is a holy moment right now. And I'm gonna ask you to please not be moving around right now. I want you to lean in and, and focus. I want you to recognize that if you're in this church today or you're watching online and you are not right with God, you are not sure about your eternal salvation, I want you to hear me right now. Today is the day of salvation. Don't make the mistake the Israelites did by hardening their heart and say, well, I'll get right with God another day. No, 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 today is the day. Today is the day. 
Stop striving and straining, trust, trying to be good enough. No, no, you rely on Him. You are saved by grace through faith. Pray with me now. Lord, we repent before you in Jesus' name. We believe your word. We believe that Jesus was sinless. He died on the cross to take away my sin. His blood that was spilled for me on Calvary was divine. It was holy, sinless. He was buried and three days later, he rose from the grave. His tomb is empty. He's the resurrection and the life. He has defeated death and the grave. And because he has defeated them, they have no power over me either. I don't wanna be your enemy any longer. I wanna be your child, your son, your daughter. I wanna follow you all the days of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to love what you love and despise what you despise. And may I forever stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, be the author and the finisher of my faith today. And may I forever be at rest and at peace through the finished work of the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.